Hey, Common Scientists, welcome to Common Science, a podcast where we ask questions about the world to learn, to gain knowledge, and to become better consumers, better people, better scientists. This week, we're coming to you with the topic of color, and there's a lot of different ways this could probably go, and we shall see how and where it does, but I want to kick it to Dre to start off with a thought-provoking quote from a movie that I really enjoyed, and maybe you've seen it too. Dre? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is from the book, The Giver. Okay. Y'all watched the movie. I read the book. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the quote. Even trained for years, as they all had been in the precision of language, what words could you use which would give another the experience of sunshine? Now, when you're thinking about color, I think a lot of us have heard like, oh, how would, if someone has never seen red, how would you describe it? If someone has never, because you can say like hot or whatever, they would have no concept of that. If someone has never seen green, how would you describe it? If someone's never seen yellow or blue, language, the language of color kind of escapes those at that point. And one thing traveling back thousands of years ago that I learned in my research is that we actually, there was colors that we actually weren't really able to perceive it wasn't necessarily that we couldn't perceive them but it was that since we didn't have words for them and we didn't have a lot of meaning or importance for them we just didn't really notice them and i believe a lot of people are converging on the theory that blue is the newest color and i know that's shocking because blue is now also the world's favorite color says yuga Foles. um but it's our newest color so the ancient greeks actually so in the iliad there were um, so there was a lot of colors mentioned. Black was mentioned 170 times, white 100, red 13, yellow and green 10 apiece, and blue zero times. Wow. Think about the sky and the ocean. Pretty big deal. <laughs> How are those never mentioned? How is the color of those things never mentioned? I believe as well blue is never mentioned in the Bible. So ancient peoples did not have words for blue, and they did not ha have an importance from blue. Oftentimes, the sky was described as black or green, or words that might be translated as like pale. It wasn't until, and part, one of these things is that they, they noticed that in every culture, white and black were the first colors to be denoted because dark and light. And then after that was red because of things like danger, blood, disease, and dangerous like fruits. And then green and yellow after that, probably for the health of fruit and flowers. And then finally, just recently in modern history, um, or I guess kind of ancient history, a couple thousand years ago, um, blue came about. And part of the reason why is because blue is pretty rare in nature, besides like the sky and the ocean, I guess. But it's pretty rare. So therefore, human beings, we didn't have any reason to be like, oh, that food is blue that's really dangerous. So that flu is this hue, it's really dangerous, or it's really this, or it's really that. So because we didn't have any importance for this, like life or death, we actually took a long time to invent the word for it. And we couldn't manipulate it either, except for the Egyptians. Wow, that's so interesting. I wonder though, if, it, if the word and the importance associated with blue didn't come simply because yeah, there wasn't a lot of depiction of blue because physiologically we have receptors for blue, yellow, or I mean blue, green, and red. And so I wonder if 
the receptor was weaker or if since the color just didn't have importance in like a sociological or psychological context. Um, yeah, it just is an interesting question. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that is that is incredibly fascinating. That kind of um, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would think it would be the the latter, so the psychological and sociological, and I mean, yeah, like Dre mentioned, the evolutionary um, purpose of of say a color like red, where it indicates danger, whereas a color mm -hmm. like blue, what does it indicate? Like I, in my mind, the color blue, which is my favorite color. Um, like indicates a lot of emotion. And I think that recently that's only become more of a consideration if we're talking about society. Like I think about uh, before it was like fight or flight survival and everybody was spending all their time trying to just survive and they didn't have much time to create art or whatever else. That's just my hypothesis. Um, yeah, what are your responses, Jay? Uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. I think a lot of like there's a lot of evidence for the hypothesis that we don't cr historically we haven't created words for colors until we can manipulate that color. So the ancient Egyptians had a word for blue for a long time, but almost no other people group did because the Egyptians were the only ones that found like the lapis lazuli or whatever it was and were able to manipulate the colors to actually make a blue. Mm -hmm. So and then I think it was at the fall of ancient Egypt it was just like forgotten about for like thousands of years or something like that um but uh yeah I think for sure even I, it is kind of interesting though because like you're kind of bringing up like social stuff and it's like now blue is such a social color like social medias are blue it feels good it's cool it's chill like a blue sky lightens our day or brightens our day um everybody here is wearing blue <laughs> like, um, and like I mean blue jeans obviously Levi changed like the world there's actually um so i can't remember who discovered i can't remember what the people was that discovered blue like hundreds of years ago but the prussian army not discovered it but was able to really manipulate it and dies but the prussian army wore it in their in their battles or whatever and it became like global like a global sensation like everybody was excited to to get their hands on blue and then the japanese started doing it in like their um woodblock art and stuff which inspired anime and stuff like that so all of a sudden every certain culture that can get their hands on blue was just using it and then it ended up being like a like a obviously a status symbol and blue became essentially worth like more than gold that's and wild. everybody wanted to get their hands on it and then like and then eventually it was like uh disseminated a huge you know in masses and we got blue jeans and it was Man. just like we love the color of blue that that, <laughs> that reminds me so i had in my research, I, I did not come across this particularly, but I have, had read an article about this in the past. Um, the Phoenicians, uh, who like our alphabet is descended from, so they're mm -hmm. like a, a civilization on the Mediterranean, um, and they got really wealthy. And the reason why they got really wealthy was because, for one, they had like a rich source of timber, for two, there was this like rare snail that mm. was like native to their location on the coast, which I think was like where modern day Israel and um, Palestine and that like section of the Mediterranean, there was this rare snail that could, uh, they could crush and form purple dye. Mm -hmm. And purple was a symbol for, I mean, royalty because it was just so rare and expensive. Mm -hmm. And so they'd export this purple dye that they'd make from 
from snails. Um, and that's how one of the reasons why they became super wealthy because they were a trading kind of civilization. So that's just kind of wow. funny that you bring that up about, yeah, it's wild <laughs> how much color. Yeah, it's a super influenced. whimsical way to start a dynasty, but <laughs> like, okay. Right. Um, yeah. What are some of your thoughts, Lauren? I think the, the idea of the status that color carries even today is an interesting segue into some of my experiences around the world, particularly in Uganda, when I spent time if people wore colorful um, outfits or skirts or whatever it was, uh, lots of people would say like, oh, you're looking smart today or oh, you're looking good today, mm. um, particularly with bright colors, reds and oranges or purples and blues, uh, particularly colors that were not like brown and yellow, which can be more easily, I think, derived. Um, so that, I thought that was interesting to think about in the context of today, especially because I went to a coffee shop the other day in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I felt so out of place. There were like 15 maybe women between the ages of 20 and 35 or 40, who knows. And I think almost all of them were wearing like boyfriend jeans and a white or gray or black graphic tee. And there was like not much color, not much um, individuality even. It just was an interesting experience. And now in this context of this conversation, it's wild to think how status and norms change over time and what normal or what is popular has is now seemingly not colorful. I don't know. Maybe it was just my end yeah. of 20 in a coffee shop in Minneapolis, but I was so surprised. I felt so out of place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. So what I heard there too, that was fascinating was like, you mentioned colors that are less easily manipulated or, or created or whatever else and how that can be tied to status. I think that makes a lot of sense in my eyes. Um, I mean, I just think about like, what is color? Uh, and like, so, um, and what makes like, say a blue more unique. Um, so thinking about the, the science of it, like color is what actually, like an object is not actually inherently black or blue or green. It's whatever color is reflected from that object. So like, that's why with, when you're wearing a black tee, for example, t-shirt, for example, uh, you'll get hotter because it absorbs all of the light whereas white actually reflects all light and white is actually a mix of all these different colors um so you, like you think of like blue and how many objects only reflect like the blue wavelength of visible light um not many so it's just kind of like yeah i'm just like just thinking about that and just how much that's shaped us Lauren, I don't know if you want to elaborate on the, the science of color. I know you've done a little the bit science of digging of in that. Like electromagnetic what? radiation. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just to give our listeners a basis of the science that Eden uh, alluded to a bit, we see light, and reflected light is color. That is why we see color. So um, light, also known as like electromagnetic radiation, right? When we're talking about wavelengths, which is what life, it, light is, um, traveling through air, 
that is what creates our depiction of reality. And there's a specific range of these electromagnetic waves that we see as color. And you don't have to know the details. You might drop it in conversation and sound really cool, though, if you know that it's from about 400 nanometers to about 700 nanometers. And on the lower end, we see purples and blues. And on the higher end, we see like the reds and oranges and yellows and the most beautiful representation of this is the rainbow, right? You learn Roy G. Biv at a really young age, and that is in itself science. That is describing from red to, what is it, violet and blue, um, the, the higher and the lower ends of the range that we can see. And then once these electromagnetic waves are picked up in our eye, it's sent to the retina and received by specific cells called cones um, that are geared toward perception of color. And there are actually different receptors for just color and then different receptors for light, which is why when it's dim, um, we only really see black and white images. So if you think of when the room is starting to get darker or it's dusk, you can make out objects, right? But you might not be able to tell that something is inherently red or blue or orange. So a lot of interesting science, a lot of science in general. It's really a fascinating thing. It gets even more crazy when you know that different species see electromagnetic radiation differently. Um, but yeah, altogether, the science of sight and the science of color, very fascinating. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Lauren. And one thing that I think is even more fascinating to beyond the like we talked a bit about like the sociological and and like status symbol and our perception of color and the evolution of that perception. Um, another kind of uh, wild phenomenon that uh, I've come across I don't personally experience, but um, Lauren can elaborate on some of her experiences. There's this uh, condition called synesthesia, um, where the stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway, uh, for example, hearing, leads to an automatic involuntary experiences in a secondary sensory or cognitive pathway, such as vision. In other words, like somebody might hear color or somebody might like see uh, see color when they like smell something um and it's actually more common than i thought so it's about three to five percent of the population experience it in some variation um and uh specifically so chromos chrome aesthesia the association of sounds to colors is all is fairly widespread so when you hear music you might start to see like reds or blues or greens for some reason the the sound is triggering your the color part of your brain um so so lauren i know you've you've said that you i think have have that kind of variation i was curious if you wanted to elaborate on your experience sure i think it's something that's hard to describe i do think too that because it's just a part of my normal experience it doesn't seem particularly like special, but hearing you describe it now is almost like, I don't know, a power or something crazy. Um, I grew up in a super musical family and grew up playing and learning piano and classical piano. And um, 
that's probably my best example or depiction, particularly when I'm playing, because when I know something well or when I'm feeling the music, which maybe some people can identify with and others can't, but when I'm feeling my fingers along the keys and when I'm feeling the noise that that produces and hearing it, I can just close my eyes and enter a space where I can see feelingly and like I don't know how to describe it beyond saying that like when I am playing an emotional piece I might see shapes and colors that elicit emotion maybe purples maybe deep reds um, maybe gray and black if it's a darker more harmonic minor piece for those music people out there um, and then if it's brighter, if it's major, um, those again, a key of the piano, then I might be seeing, yeah, light blues or soft yellows um, and maybe circles and shapes with less of like a rigidity. But it's also tied to one another that it's not just an experience of seeing color and shape, right? I'm also um, seeing feelingly or feeling seeingly, right? Like the music elicits an emotional place that I go to. Um, that's one of the reasons for me, music is such a huge outlet. That's, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And I can't even wrap my head around it. Um, yeah, it is just, like you said, uh, it's hard to describe because it's part of your everyday experience. Uh, and it just kind of uh, makes me think or reflect like how much I perceive the world differently than other people. Um, it's funny you say the the superpower thing. So synesthesia is more common in women, and it's also uh, can be helpful for creativity and memory. Uh, like so, yeah. There's a number of like what have been called geniuses who have claimed to be synesthetes, um, which is just like fascinating. Dre, do you happen to be colorblind? No. No. Okay. So that's another like neurological um, color. Uh, associated condition and it's more common amongst men mm. um, nice that's why I wanted to uh, just, just check <laughs> yeah yeah women women get synesthesia more often and men get colorblindness more often I don't know what that has to say about anything but <laughs> back to the science a little though of colorblindness so people often right they want to know why or can it be fixed and it's really challenging because generally colorblindness occurs when you're totally missing a type of cone that's specific to one type of light, right? So I talked about cones, color, you can think of the C in the C, cones, color, um, the type of cells that help us pick up uh, electromagnetic radiation light in a specific wavelength. And generally we have receptors for red, green, and blue, right? So you could be missing blue or missing the red cones or missing the green cones and your experience of the world would be quite different. However, um, I don't think generally colorblindness is so um, problematic for fitness of an individual that it has become evolutionarily like uncommon, right? It doesn't really cause um, a drastic decrease in quality of life is what I'm really trying to say. No. And what I've heard of those who are and have been colorblind in my life. Yeah. And it comes back to that, like idea of, of 
perceiving the world in the way that you've always have. Like if everybody calls a shade of gray red, like everybody around you has only has only ever called this gray, gray like shade of gray red, you're just going to start to think of that as red. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just like kind of a, a an interesting thought experience. A cross-country runner at my high school was colorblind, and I talked to him about it once. I'm like, what about stoplights? How could you... How could you possibly drive? And he was like, oh, easy. When it's dark gray, like dark, dark gray, almost black, I know I have to stop. When it's light, light gray, like it almost looks white, I know I can just keep cruising. And when it's somewhere in between, I know I got to gun it. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Um, Are there people who develop colorblindness? I don't know. I would would assume that it's possible. Through like trauma, Mm -hmm. brain drama. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would um, hypothesize or predict that that would cause some negative emotions if you lost the vibrancy of color. But of course, like you said, like being born without it, it's just like you've always seen it this way. Right. But I, I mean, I guess I could possibly see like even being born with it, just having a lesser, um, I guess, um, happiness in life, lesser joy, because I mean, vibrant colors do mean a lot to us. Like when you guys got here, I was talking about like the sun being out, brightening up the sky, brightening mm-hmm. everything's like reflecting way more vibrant. Um, that improves my mood, but uh, I, I guess I'm not 100% familiar with. I'm not familiar enough with color blindness to understand. Like, is there a sort of nuance there that, yes, it's not the same as what I'm experiencing, but it still is. Like it still is a brightness for them. It is still like a some sort of, I guess I don't know. Um, so I just checked and I want to speak to this quick before we move on, but while colorblindness is mostly inherited at birth, it is possible that you would acquire colorblindness. Um, and most of the time, according to the Google and IQ.com, um, you acquire colorblindness as a result of a disease. So Mm. if you do see decline in color, talk to your local ophthalmologist. Interesting. Yeah. Or optometrist. Um, I think that wasn't like, never mind, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, so speaking about like the vibrance of color and yeah. like what losing it might mean, like and how, like I personally have a negative reaction to that. I, I'm kind of like, that would suck. And I'm curious. So, Dre, you brought up a quote but of like from the giver the book and also, <laughs> and, also, and also the movie. Um, yeah, I, I was like, why, why is it sad to lose color? Um, and like, what is, I guess for those who, who are not familiar with the story of the giver what's just kind of a basic overview of the connection to color. Um, wait, say that again. So like, why, why do you like, I mean, I'm assuming so based on what you're saying yeah. like you feel like you sad would you would feel sad if, if you I were lost losing color. color yeah yeah like why do you think that is and then like yeah how is the giver maybe informed some of those feelings oh I see hmm the giver I'm not sure that that's I mean I don't think it's an active conscious part of my of my worldview um Maybe if I would need to read it again, maybe if there are some sort of subconscious plays, some ideas that I hold that might have been inspired by that or affirmed by it. Um, I don't remember it um, detailed enough for that, but I kind of feel like with The Giver, so with The Giver, the world is all about sameness and grayness, 
shades of gray um, as a result or as like a desired effect to limit like pain and suffering, like to just make everybody, I guess, generally content because everything's the same and there's no need for like tribalism and whatever death and decay like everything that comes with color i guess but so they just kind of strip away all these things like music right there's no music either right mm-hmm. so they strip away all these things and color is like the main character he is i don't know what they call him but he's like the giver in line spoiler alert and he starts seeing flashes of color as things are just like passing by and he's just like what is this like what's happening he just kind of starts seeing it eventually he meets with the giver do some sort of test or some sort of secrecy or something like that. And um, then the giver starts giving him these gifts of humanity, human experience, like color. And the um, the character, the main character starts to realize like everybody deserves this. What we're living is like a lie and is less than human and less than what the life could be and ends up like um, kidnapping his like baby brother or sister and like running away to like, I don't know, try to live a life of color and music and stuff and experience so that i'm not really sure i totally agree with <laughs> yeah because like um color is important but and i would i might take away color to end war and poverty and hunger so like i don't i'm not like really super for i think that kid was also like 10 years old so he's pretty naive yeah. to what life was like before um, so I'm not really... Yeah, I was just going to add that the construction of this society was to create equality, right? The yeah. ultimate picture of equality, which meant no music, no color, no... No emotions. No emotions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. Um, in a recent conversation I had with Aiden off the cast... We talked about how society is today safer than it ever was in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and how humans have seemingly been evolving toward safer, better cohabitation amongst each other. And I hope that we can achieve more peace and equality without losing things like color and vibrance and music. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing with equality right it's like oh like that was like a big movement in the late 90s early 2000s of being colorblind but now the the pendulum is swinging back and the backlash is like no don't try to not see my color like i am a black person i am a black woman i'm proud of that we're different but we're just equal you know so that's kind of an interesting thing like yeah people are trying to like quote unquote whitewash everything or like gray wash everything like nope there is no color now doesn't exist yeah Mm -hmm. so you know People aren't liking that either. In college, we had to take uh, cultural competency coursework, kind of, and measure our cultural competency change over time. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's really cultural competency is really a buzzword that describes how an individual, um, how competent an individual may be at interacting with people who are different than them. However, to measure this, we use questionnaires that are already usually um, leading type questions that you might answer a certain way based on your socioeconomic status or where you are. But it's one metric to look at. And I remember my, I think, junior year of college, I had taken the test like two or three times once a year while, while in college. And I was frustrated with the results of my, um, mm. with the results of my test. And we had to sit down with an academic counselor and talk through it. And he 
was talking about goals I could set to be a more culturally competent individual. And I was so frustrated because I had answered a couple of the questions um, with the mindset of celebrating diversity rather than just seeing sameness. And on researching the competency test, I realized that that was likely why I scored the way I did in a certain like section. And I was so frustrated because I do think that we have got to be able to appreciate difference in order to really find, like you said, different but equal. Um, and I just remember being so, so frustrated talking to this middle-aged white dude about my experiences adopting my sister and traveling abroad and all these things that have informed my perception of what's beautiful and what's colorful. Yeah, just to reiterate, and um, yeah, for our listeners, so Lauren, you were just saying that the like testers were more focused on that idea of sameness as opposed to like the celebration of diversity. Do you guys think that it is possible, so like as like negative as bringing up this is, um, I'm, I'm curious just to, for sake of exploration, like the idea of different but equal reminds me a lot of separate but equal. Yeah, for sure. And like, I'm, I'm curious if you guys think that it's like, and I, for those people who are not familiar, they're like, when it came to segregation, um, that was like kind of like the buzz that was thrown around, um, was like, oh, like they can have their own schools or whatever. But in reality, what that meant was that like the funding was different, all these things and unequal ultimately. Um, yeah, I was curious if you guys think that like for one, like different or, or like diverse, but equal is possible. And like, if not, is that okay? Like what it, what kinds of equality is like, would you, would you say is the goal? Man, I hope it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and like everything that I have worked toward and well, lots of things that I have worked toward in my life emulate that right as a as a woman also as someone who has like crazy wild curly hair that can never look how it's supposed to in society and like I dress weird and (laughs) I mean all the things like I I want there to be a space where I'll be appreciated for my differences and have equal opportunity I think that's mainly where I see um a lot of area for improvement is like equal opportunity, equal access Mm -hmm. versus um, this like separate but equal vibe or even different but equal if you're talking about access is not okay. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. What what would you say? So Dre, I'm not sure if you agree or not, but one thing, Lauren, that you said stuck out was like the equal opportunity and equal access. Like, do you, do you, would you say you agree with like, that as the goal and then equal outcome is not necessarily like so because something i i kind of struggle with is like this idea of like equality it's like this big and diverse topic right is it like like what kinds of equality i mean because we we do have a podcast about like elon musk and all the crazy and honestly some i mean in some cases he's he has wild ideas that we disagree with but in other cases like he's 
changing the world for the better. Um, and obviously he has like an unequal situation, like power and everything else. Um, so yeah, I was curious, like, what is the equality goal? Yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of critics of, um, progressive quote unquote, um, policy to try to uplift the meek of our society, um, often talk about the equal outcome thing yeah. and they kind of straw man, the equal opportunity, um, idea. I'm sure there's many people who are for equal income or equal outcome, I guess. Um, but I think in general, it's just equal opportunity, just give people a chance. And the problem is that equal opportunity inequality is so nuanced, intricate, and complex that it's like, it's probably yeah, impossible. Yeah. Um, the human species, we have so many trappings and shortcomings that are just have been ingrained since, I mean, since we were freaking prokaryotes or whatnot, you know. They're so evolved. Right, yeah. so it's just like, um, yeah, because like if you if you want to, because we can talk about race has been something. Race has been something that has divided um, people for a long time, and really simple, um, really simple differences, height and gender and whatever. Gender has obviously been throughout human history has divided us. So race is now something that America, because of obviously chattel slavery, is been really on just the hot seat and it's the hot button issue and all that type of stuff. So now we're trying, that's really what we're trying to fight for is like racial equality. Mm -hmm. And to even suggest that there might, it might be impossible or we might like not be for whatever. It's just like completely out of bounds. Yeah. And the thing about it is that for me, racial equality is probably not possible with humans, true racial equality, because humans love tribalism humans love to find differences because then you have to go when you're thinking about equality you have to say okay racial let's say racial equality is equal in this hypothetical but then it's like what's the next thing like what so now we have to go into men and women it's like well i mean at least i believe genetically men and women are different we've evolved for different purposes for whatever not completely different but we have some differences point being one can have kids one can't have kids right one can carry a child one can't yeah. so there's obviously you have to admit there's at least one difference right, right. so there's differences right S certain averages of physical strength etc cetera, etc cetera. so at what point do we say okay all of our highest paying or most of our highest paying jobs are jobs that mostly men are good at or like not good at I shouldn't say but like mostly men have throughout human history been able to pursue thoroughly mm -hmm. even to the point today it's like if a like women still struggle in the workforce because they want to have kids and it's like all of a sudden you have to raise a kid for five years what's that going to do for your career or whatever it might be so then how do we get equality there where it's like okay it's not there's nothing intrinsically valuable or like income producing about like being good at I don't know, economics or whatever, like is a male dominated field. But because men have dominated women for so long, they said these are what's these are what's important, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. this is what should make us a lot of money. Like these sports should make us a lot of money. This this can because like but it's because men are dominating society and men are good at these things. If we had like a matriarchal society where it was like about things that women just tend to be better at, like perhaps like raising a child or tending to things or if breastfeeding was all of a sudden something that we want to like um yeah monetize it's like then women would make a lot more money and then so it's like what i'm, I'm coming like obviously i'm being a little like circumnavigating but 
I'm just, or not circumnavigating, circ- circumlocution. It's just like, what I'm trying to say is like, at the end of the day, difference almost necess- necessitates inequality. All we can do is get some semblance of it and keep pushing towards that as human yeah. beings. And that's where we kind of get into transhumanism and like people, like you, I think we've all kind of seen like those pictures of like, this is what the world's going to look like in 2200 and everybody's like kind of the same skin tone and like a little bit, everybody's more tall and like the, uh, the genders have kind of like, not, they're not as distinct and all that type of stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? So yeah. it's like, we can kind of trend in that direction, but at the end of the day, human beings, we love to point out differences and to give value judgments on those differences. So in that sense, equality is kind of like a pie in the sky idea, but worthy to pursue Yeah, and get close to, get to the limit of it, what we can get to. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Just I, for oh, all, any ahead. women, female listeners out there, I just want to let you know that I disagree with a lot of what Jay just said, but I think we'd have to have a whole other podcast on gender norms <laughs> yeah. in order for me to say everything that's on my mind about a lot of what you just said. So I just need to say that for any female who's listening, I'm not in the same camp as Jay is on a lot of what he just said. Okay, so setting that aside, putting back my <laughs> color hat on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't color get to this. <laughs> Should have um, this. Color is I so do, controversial. <laughs> but I do think color is so controversial, he says. Um, <laughs> one, one fascinating aspect of color is color in AI. So we recently watched a documentary. Aiden, do you remember the name? Mm-hmm. Coded, Coded Bias. Coded Bias, yeah. And we learned that facial recognition doesn't work historically, did not work well for women, and it did not really work at all for people who didn't have white skin, particularly for people who had dark black skin. Um, And that documentary was wild to learn how biases that we people had was ended up or ended up being coded into programming that was helping decide things like who should be stopped on the street and searched in areas of the world. That was really crazy to hear and see how our perception of color specific to inequality in this instance, but got kind of leaked into how we coded programs, which are supposedly equal. Yeah. um, Yeah, I think, well, so to just like clarify somewhat there, um, a lot of it's actually not how the program was coded. It's like the data set that was used. So the data that they used mm-hmm. to train the models um, happened to be more uh, westernized people and who have smartphones. So they use like like Facebook uses a lot of their images, right? And who's who's was at least most on mostly on Facebook is uh, like people who could have the the time and energy to put into Facebook, um, which tends to be like, yeah, uh, a lot of white and wealthy individuals. But yeah, it it is wild how much color does shape our lives and and bringing it all the way back to the Greeks and uh, the Phoenicians, like how much it's played a role in terms of uh, like, yeah, financial success, AI success, like racial inequality, um yeah all the things uh off on a little bit of a a a tangent and and not so related to ai but a little bit in terms of like the the photographs that were used um so one thing i enjoy doing is is taking pictures and i'm curious what you guys 
uh, like, do you guys like black and white photographs versus color photographs? Like, wh- what are the pros and cons of either? I don't know. I'm not really into photography, but I, I usually prefer color. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. Just, you know, more color, more interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> I like black and white photography a lot. Um, but I also think there's a time and a place artistically... Specifically, if you're wanting to comment on the essence of a person or um, of a photo rather than, like, the experience of a photo, I think maybe the black and white can be powerful. Even sometimes when I'm playing music um, and I see color, I'll see, like, black and white versus a color, but I'm still seeing, like, images and grays and blacks and whites versus bright colors and I think I probably tend towards that because it just makes sense to my mind and body and soul Mm -hmm. if you will but that's my answer I suppose yeah um I'm just yeah also curious because yeah for me I I enjoy like with black and white photography you get more like more of the shadows come out and the shapes come out um but uh another kind of just like uh, like idea or like something I've been I've puzzled over in the past is like so our our perception of history like I think about like the Greeks and we see all these like white marble statues and then like even um, up until so it wasn't until 1855 when the first color photograph was made so I don't know if you guys have seen like the photos of the Civil War, for example, where everybody's like in black and white and everything just like looks like dull. <laughs> um, yeah. And not as as bright and colorful. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys think it's shaped our perception of history, like the color photograph versus not? Because for me, I feel like, I mean, the now is is colorful and vibrant, but like it's really hard to like perceive or like conceptualize somebody in the past being in color which is oh, like oh yeah that's interesting yeah i don't know yeah i think there's something to that i think yeah if i think about um a kind of more than 100 years ago or something i think of it in black and white um it kind of gives like a less life to it a little bit it seems more removed aloof from my for me yeah so. any other philosophical color quandaries Um, Well, I think one thing, we talked some about skin color without mentioning the science, and um, one of the most interesting things I think about skin color is that it's almost impossible to test the difference scientifically, historically speaking, unless you had two skin samples and you could measure um, the melanocyte production, which is what produces skin color. and historically, it's, it's debated because there's so little difference in our genetic code that codes for color difference. You can't even measure using bones like what, what color an individual might have been. So I think that's something worth, noteworthy if we're talking, if we had talked some about uh, inequality and, and seeing color in people, um, but that it's just it's just a difference in a small cellular production um, and nothing like really even genetically coded. 
Yeah, so science says it's pretty surface level. Mm -hmm. It's not like deep down we're all humans. Um, yeah. Color. What are you, what are your favorite colors? Mm. Blue, green. Hmm. Purple is mine. Purple, that's interesting. Oh, we're all kind of on blue, the same end purple. of the spectrum. Yeah, we're all kind of in that 400 to 500 does, nanometer does blue, range. B yeah. Does blue and cool green spectrum. equal purple? Is that true? No, blue and red, I thought. Blue and red. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I blue think you're red. right. Let me tell blue and green. Let me tell them all. Yellow and green. Yellow and blue. No, yellow and blue is green, right? Oh, is that true? Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, because yeah, green is secondary. Yeah, I was gonna when mix, mix it with like together. like paints versus like lights and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, we are all on that kind of cool spectrum of that. I know yeah. a lot of people who grew up like liking red, and they actually I, I read something too that said that children a lot of times their favorite color is yellow, and they associate it with happiness in the West. It's kind hmm. of interesting. The sun, maybe. Yeah, yeah, just like say a fire field. Yeah, sun. sun, yeah, naturally you feel good out there. I also like cultural differences. Like, I think Russia, they think of jealousy as being yellow. I think we kind of think of it as being huh. green. And then the Poles mm. think of it as being purple. Interesting. Huh. But, huh. Why is your favorite color green? Um, I mean, I can rationalize. Yeah, I love money. Um, <laughs> definitely. Very money driven. Um, Says the teacher. <laughs> Um, I can rationalize it in a million ways. Like I, when I was younger, I used to just always talk about like verdantness and like vivacity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, just like, like if you look around, like you're always going to see green around life. But in the day, I think it's just an inborn preference. It's like, why do you like the food that you like? It's just, it is what it is. And I actually saw, speaking of that question in the movie Ex Machina, when the, one of the main characters is talking with the AI, um, she's asking him a bunch of questions and she asks him what his favorite color is and she keeps telling him that he's lying and he's like no like my favorite color is green whatever it is and eventually he's like oh like it's because i'm an adult and like i've grown out of things like favorite colors and i was like hmm, hmm. i think i have grown out of like a favorite color i think it's mostly like a nostalgic thing that i answer green huh that's fascinating yeah would you say you wear like more greens no i've never even though i've loved green um i've only worn green as like a like a homage to my favorite color but not because i loved wearing green i've, I've always huh. loved like when i was younger i loved to wear orange in like high school and then i grew into like obviously like more blacks and stuff like that and mm -hmm. red um, a couple years ago i was really into red hmm. cool what's your what's your purple story lauren oh my grandma go bikes Absolutely. <laughs> um, my grandma, Lila, uh, so she would be my paternal grandmother, who was also my adopted grandmother, so I have three grandmas. Um, her favorite flower is li are lilacs. Her favorite flowers are lilacs. Mm -hmm. And the purple that you might see on the tip of a lilac flower when they are in bloom, I think is so beautiful. It's maybe more of a light purple or like a light violet but i think it's beautiful and especially specifically on the flower when there are more there are more than one shade of purple and then some of it is debatable whether it's blue or not um is probably my favorite it just makes me smile thinking about my grandma and the color they're kind of they kind of coincide because color and emotion and seeing all seems to all come together. together yeah yeah, one PSA about sight and color. I know we're getting close to time. Um, 
is I just learned this, and it's like a little related but a little unrelated, that if you don't have sunglasses with UV protection, it really just tricks your eyes into thinking that they're protected. Mm. So your eyeballs will dilate, allowing more sun in, but no UV is actually being protected, meaning that you're just straight burning your retina. So I don't know if this is something that most people know. I, I, I majored in health sciences and I just realized this like a couple of weeks ago. So if you have sunglasses that um, don't have UV protection, I would encourage you to invest. I never, I always thought like, oh, these dumbasses, quite frankly, like buying a hundred dollar pair of sunglasses. Um, and then, yeah, now I realized, well, like, what's it worth? Well, it's worth my sight. So, <laughs> so <laughs> investing big... in some protective sunglasses yeah. to protect that color, right, could be super important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Aiden? What, what's the story of you and Blue? Um, I think, I think with Blue, I really, I mean, I think it's just like it, it feels like it's a, I mean, it, like you said, it's like a very calm, it's like, I associate it at least with like very calm feeling. Um, and I also think of water, especially so being from Minnesota and having all the lakes that we do, um, Mm. as well as when, when I am lucky enough to go to an ocean, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. So yeah, I think, I think that's probably kind of it, but also like you said, Jay, it's like my own brain coming up for reasons to rationalize something that might just be, Oh, just cause, but yeah, I, I would say that. So not, no, uh, no flowers or, um, thing, things of that sort, but Welcome, scientists. On that note, you may be thinking of your favorite color now or reminiscing about ways you see color while you hear music. Um, But I would encourage you, even if you don't, to see feelingly and consider the colors around you and why they're there and what they mean to you and what they mean to the world, Um, because that's what being a common scientist is. That's it for this week on color. We will see you guys next week.